Will you please join me as we read from God's word together? Firstly, from Haggai, chapter 1, reading verses 5 to 7. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. <clears throat> Acts 2, verses 42 and 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Matthew 18, verses 18 to 20. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And from James 5, verses 14 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. Thank you for that beautiful reading. Let me just move this. Um, I just want to start by asking the question, how's your prayer life going? If I was to ask you to give that a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give yourself? That's a pretty hard question, right? Uh, while on one side it's kind of a simple question, it's, it's really challenging to answer. Maybe if I asked you how's your Bible reading going, that's a bit more objective. An amount of chapters that you can read or you've been learning a certain amount of things and you can kind of quantify it a little bit better. But Bible reading doesn't, sorry, but prayer doesn't really fit in a box that neatly, does it? Maybe the other side of that question is how satisfied are you with your prayer life right now? Seriously, what would, what, what would you give yourself out of 10? Because I think it's an important question, because if you would give yourself a one, are you frustrated with that? Or is that kind of just like, oh yeah, whatever, prayer's not that important? Because I think that there's been times in my life where I've given myself a one. 
I think there's times in my life where I've given myself a five and I've kind of felt like that's kind of good enough. What would you give yourself? What, what do you feel about your prayer life right now? I was, uh, as I was preparing, I read this quote this week and let me just read it to you. Prayer might be at the same time the most pivotal and the most puzzling activity in the Christian life. It is the lifeline and life mystery for believers. I wonder, does this describe your prayer life? Is prayer the most pivotal thing in your life, the most significant thing that happens? But I also wonder, is it the most puzzling activity in your life? I think I would also often not describe prayer as a puzzling thing because I'm not very engaged in it. I'm not really thinking about it. But as we think about prayer, it should be puzzling. It's mysterious in some sense. Today, I want us to get us thinking about things. There's some Bible readings there that are kind of weird, that are kind of interesting, and I want us to think about them. I want us to wrestle with them. I want you to decide for yourself, what does this mean? What does this look like in your life? And while I'm going to try to round off some things nicely, hopefully communicate them clearly, there's also going to be unanswered ends to things. I really want you to leave this wondering. But I also want to ask, is prayer your lifeline? Not just something that when you're in trouble you need, but literally the line that life comes into your life from. Is it the source of life in your world? Because I'm growing to believe more than more and more that prayer is the fuel that our life lives on. We need God more than we need anything in this world. Uh, Would you agree with that statement? In your life, do you need God more than you need anything else in this whole world? I know that I'm still young, but I think this is actually the most important lesson that I'm learning lately. I need God more than I need anything else in this world. I need his presence. I need his help. So in order to be better together, I want to focus on prayer and and asking God to be present with us. And uh, to practice what I'm preaching, let me uh, stop and actually pray. Uh, So if you'll join me, I'd love to do that together. God, I want to stop right now and eagerly ask that you would simply help us right now. Help us to more deeply understand the mystery of prayer. Help us to see what an incredible privilege it is and what an opportunity we have in prayer. Help us not to miss out on enjoying you in prayer. Help our prayers to empower us to be better together this morning. Amen. So I actually want to start in Haggai, and it feels like maybe a weird place to start, but here it is up on the screen again. Um, And I want to look at the principle that we find here in Haggai. Let me read it again to you. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Again, the, the really simple question is, do you give careful thought to your ways? Do you trace what actions, what consequences your actions have? Do you think about, are you using your time effectively? When was the last time that you stopped and considered your prayer life? Really stopped and considered it. Gave careful thought to how you pray. I was uh, chatting with Wendy this week and we were just having a sit in the office and talking about our prayer life and it was actually really enjoyable. It was really fruitful. We were talking about some of these questions that I've been asking you guys and I started to realize that we're, we were doing this. 
We were considering and carefully pondering about our prayer lives. And one of the big things that I was thinking about was, what are some of the big barriers to my prayer life? What are the things that stop me from praying? What are the things that stop me from enjoying a rich prayer life? What are the things in your life that stop you from enjoying rich prayer with God? And as I was thinking, I kind of had a few different big kind of categories, but I realized it's a complicated question, right? There's a lot of things, but I think I kind of found three big categories in my life, and I think that you can probably identify with some of them as well. And the first one is busyness. I know for me, my excuse that I don't pray is that it's hard to find time, or maybe I lack self-discipline. But what is that really? What is that actually showing us about ourselves? And for me, that just shows that prayer isn't a priority. If I'm really honest, I'm prioritizing other things. I'm busy with things that I care more about. And while intellectually I know that that's not a good thing, that's what physically happens most of the time. And I can see that underneath that lack of priority is is this belief that I feel like I don't need God. I start my day and I rush into action. I get going and I just start doing things, but I don't stop and realize my need for God. And I think for me that's arrogance or maybe that's pride. And identifying that for me is really important because that's something to repent of. For me, that's really important to stop and and actually say, God, I don't want that. And we're going to do that in a minute, but let me keep going with the other ones. One of the other biggest things in my life that stops me from praying is being distracted. Sometimes I, I just simply don't think about it or I'm unaware of my soul's hunger for God. I wonder if you can relate to that too. Maybe we just feel a bit asleep to our prayer life. Again, I think that we need to come before God and ask him for help there. And the last one here I want to talk about is, is theological questions. I think that we all sometimes have these in our lives, right? Sometimes we have an unanswered prayer. Why did God not give me the answer that I wanted to that prayer? Does he really care? That's a big barrier to our prayer life sometimes. Or maybe we, we struggle with God's sovereignty. Is God already dictated my whole life? Does it matter if I ask him for something? Or this last one here, do I even know what's good for me? Am I like a child asking God for a lollipop when he actually wants to give me vegetables? Because that's a really big question, right? Does that stop you from praying? And I wonder if you can identify with these barriers in your own life. Maybe intellectually, like I've said, that you know that prayer is good, it's important, but something's getting in the way. It doesn't show in your actions. Maybe you really don't feel that need for God's presence in your life. Or maybe you're just struggling with these questions. I I really want to stop and actually pray with you again right now. I think it's a good thing to identify these barriers, to realize what stops us, but we need God's help. We're not called to live a perfect, like, we're not called to actually not have barriers, but we're called to submit them to God, to give our weaknesses over to him again and again, to submit to a life of grace-filled repentance. So let me pray, and maybe you want to identify one of these and, and submit it to God with, as I, with me as I pray. Lord God, help us to see these barriers in our lives and to realize how much they stop us from enjoying rich prayer with you. For those of us that see pride or arrogance as a blockage, we want to ask that you would humble us. Help us to see clearly how much we need you. Allow our minds to be renewed, to trust you fully, 
to accept the truth that you tell us about ourselves. For those of us that have theological barriers, help us to understand more and more the mystery of prayer. That we won't ever understand everything, but in the meantime, that we'll enjoy meeting with you in prayer. Talking with you, having a relationship with you, God. Amen. I wanted to start talking about these barriers of prayer because I think it's really important that they help us kind of understand what prayer even is to start off with. Uh, when I look at a lot of these reasons that I don't pray sometimes, I think it kind of points to what I believe prayer is. Uh, let me give you a really obvious picture. Uh, if me and my wife, we live together, obviously, but if I stop talking to her and I only ever ask, ask her questions, if I stop listening to her, no matter how kind she is, how patient with me she is, if she keeps putting up with that terrible behavior, what kind of relationship will we have? Because the truth is that God is kind. He's patient. The Bible talks about the idea that he stands at the door and knocks. He kind of waits for us. But when we don't stop and actually listen, have, have a conversation, what kind of relationship is that? Because we know deep inside ourselves that prayer is a conversation, right? But I don't know how often we treat it like that. I think we're all guilty of, of treating prayer in a way that it wasn't meant to be. How often do we just listen to God, talk with him, enjoy his presence? Uh, I've been, uh, as I was preparing this, uh, I came across a couple of quotes from Tim Keller. He's just written a book recently on prayer, and I love it. It's very quotable, so here's a couple of different quotes. Uh, it's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. That, that's crazy, right? That's actually crazy because 99% of my prayers contain appeals for changes in circumstances. Again and again and again, that's the thing that I seem to prioritize, but Paul doesn't do it. Keller continues and says that prayer is not merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. Does this reflect your prayer life? I love this. It's such a beautiful reminder to me to come back to again and again and again throughout my life because I'm so prone to not treat prayer like this. And I think we see this in all kinds of different ways, but I actually want to look at this more practically. And I, I wanted to look at three different ways that prayer makes us better together. And these is where most of our Bible readings come in today. Um, and these are just kind of three areas that as I was thinking about prayer this week that I felt God was really putting on my heart to share with you guys. So uh, the first one I want to talk about is pray, praying in the power of the Spirit. And that's for Acts 2. But I first wanted to ask you the question, have you ever considered that the Bible breaks um, time up into three big different areas? We have the Old Testament, we have the Gospels, and then we kind of have the rest of the New Testament. And, and each of these three sections is primarily a revelation of, the, of a different member of the triune God. The Old Testament, we all know, is primarily the revelation of who God the Father is. The Gospels is primarily the revelation of who Jesus is. And then Acts kind of moving on is primarily what does the Spirit do when, it come, when he comes into our world? We often call Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it's maybe more appropriate we call it the Acts of the Spirit. Because the beginning of the book starts off with the Spirit coming into the world and what happens? By the end of John's gospel, we hear Jesus say, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
Isn't that a crazy statement? Jesus says, it is better that I go because I am sending the Spirit to be with you. Do you feel that in your life? Because Acts 2 is this beautiful picture of what happens when the Spirit powerfully comes into your life. At the beginning of Acts 2, we see, we see, the, we see Pentecost. We see the Spirit come upon the apostles and miracles break out. We see all kinds of amazing things happen. We see uh, Peter get up and proclaim to the people this incredible, spirit-filled, amazing sermon that cuts them to the heart, it says. And then at the end of this passage, it says from verse 42, and this is in our reading today. Let me just read it to you again. The disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think that this is one of the most beautiful pictures of better together community that we see in the Bible. How amazing is this picture of community? And this happens because the Spirit comes and transforms them. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. I want to ask you the question, do you want to see this kind of transformation in our church, in Sydney, in in Epping, in Australia? Because we need the Spirit of God to come and transform us. Are you inviting the Spirit to first come and transform you? Because the disciples of Jesus set us a pattern. They seem to have four top priorities in, oh, sorry. They seem to have four top priorities in uh, chapter two. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. In verse 42, they have four top priorities, and those priorities are teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. I think that these four, this passage also tells us that these four practices is the way the Spirit comes into our lives and transforms us. The Spirit flows through these practices into our lives. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying with, for, with, for all the saints. Sorry. So the really simple question again is, is, do you pray in the Spirit? Paul's commending that we do pray in the Spirit. So obviously we can somehow not pray in the Spirit. But do you pray in the Spirit? What does that look like in your life? Is that something that you are consciously aware of? If you're a Christian here today, you have the Spirit living inside you. Are you aware of that? As I was, again, preparing, I, I read this. I, it was a big article, and I won't give you quotes because it was huge, but he essentially talked about this idea that the whole Trinity is at work in us when we pray. I love how Nathan kind of just shared that with us just a moment ago, but the Spirit, the power of the Spirit prays to the Father through, sorry, through the Spirit we pray to the Father in the power of the Son, while Jesus is up in heaven interceding for us. It's this beautiful dance of the Spirit and the Father and the Son all working together. There's something beautiful and mystical about that. Do you think about what happens when you pray, that, that how God is at work? I think that that's something exciting for me to, to think and dwell on, to consider, that we can pray in the power of the Spirit. 
the next one. And, uh, okay, so Matthew 18 verses 19 to 20 is maybe the most uh, confusing, less uh, well-used verses that I've maybe ever heard. This is the kind of verse that deeply needs context, and I haven't given you very much context, so let me give you context in a second. But this is also a verse that I think should be puzzling for us. I think that there's actually a lot here and something that we should wrestle with. Let me just read it to you first. Matthew 18, 19 to 20. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. What does this verse mean in your life? Because the context is actually church discipline. It's actually a kind of a weird thing to say at the end of a church discipline passage. The idea is that they're talking about when do we get involved when we see another brother or sister in Christ living in sin? At what point do we get involved in their life and actually do something about it? When do we actually seriously decide to cut them off from the community or or do discipline, whatever that looks like? It's a big, complicated question. But what this verse is commending to us is that it is good for us to gather, for us to think about difficult concerns, to agree on something, to discern what is right, and then to pray about it. And when we do that process, something significant happens. This verse is commending to us that when we agree and then ask, there's something extra significant about it. This is also the kind of verse that I think is really important to think about, to talk about. Do you think that this is actually talking about how we have extra power in prayer? I think that's a good question to take home with you, to ask an older, wiser Christian about. Because this principle is also found in James. Let me just read this one to you. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Again, this verse has questions for us. What does it mean by sick? Maybe it's talking about spiritually sick because it says they will be healed. But the principle is still here. The principle is still Get people to pray with you. Get people to pray for you. And there's something extra that happens in that. I wonder what you think about this idea. Does praying together give you extra power? I think that's an important thing to think through this week. And while I hope that's not all too confusing, I want to move on to our third one. And that's maturity in prayer is both caught and taught. And this follows on from point two. Because prayer is puzzling, right? There's a lot of questions that we can have about prayer and we need to wrestle with them. Anyone can pray, but we have a lifelong journey of growing in prayer as well. We grow and we find God more intimately in prayer. I believe that prayer and maturity in prayer is not just found from listening to people talk like me or reading a book, but actually praying together. And I love the beginning of Luke 11 for this reason, and I think it's really interesting. Jesus was praying in a place when, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Has anyone ever seen you pray and then came up to you and said, teach me how to pray? 
because that's what happens to Jesus. Jesus is doing something, he's praying in a certain way that intrigues his disciples. His disciples see something amazing in his prayer and say, we want that. I think that's how discipleship works. I think that's a a model for us to look at. Sorry, let me just shuffle my notes around. And here in Luke 11, Jesus' disciples come up to him and ask him how to pray. And Jesus doesn't just jump into some sort of complicated theology, but he shows them. He says, he teaches them how to pray by showing them a prayer. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus shows his people how to pray and teaches them at the same time. Maybe God's calling you in this season to show someone how to pray. Or if you're wanting to grow in your prayer life, maybe it's finding someone who you know prays beautifully, who has an intimate relationship with God through prayer and to listen to them, to follow them around a little bit. I love that our church values prayer and services. I love that we've sat through a prayer. Lois, thank you. Where I don't know where you are, but that was a beautiful prayer. I love sitting here and listening to people pray. I am so blessed by this. Is God calling you to be praying with someone, to teach them how to pray, to show them what they can have in their prayer life? Because I think we learn from each other. We grow in maturity from each other when we spend good time together. And I just want to finish on uh, three really quick little practical ways that, that God's been teaching me and, and I've been finding real enjoyment in prayer. Because if you're anything like me, prayer is really hard sometimes. I really do struggle with being distracted, uh, getting caught up in other things. And, and sometimes it, it's really helpful to have little practical things that we can put into our lives. I know that prayer is an underutilized gift in my life. I am so unsatisfied by how my prayer life is right now. I want so much more from it, and I know that God wants to meet more intimately with me in prayer. So here's three things I want to commend to you, and I think I've kind of talked about some of these before with you guys. Spiritual disciplines. A couple of weeks ago, maybe it was like a month ago, I preached a sermon on how Jesus calls us to come, to follow him, and then to go out into the world. And we kind of kicked off this spiritual disciplines Facebook group. And each week, we've kind of been looking at these two different spiritual disciplines that are just quick little things of how to engage with God. These spiritual disciplines are century-old practices that Christians have used to again and again connect with God in intimate ways. I want to commend spiritual disciplines to you. Having little physical reminders in my car or on my desk or at home on my bedside table have been a huge blessing to me. Having a different focus each week, maybe it's thinking about certain types of people or the tree outside that looks pretty or listening to a certain song has been a real blessing. To have thoughts each week of how I can engage with God in different ways that I've never thought to before. And one of my favorite things is stealing uh, Tim Keller's daily prayers. He uses these three, or these five daily prayers each day to do what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. I wonder how you pray without ceasing in your life. Tim Keller uses these five daily prayers, and he's written these five daily prayers. that He prays one in the morning just as he wakes up, one before work, one at lunchtime, one at the end of his workday, and then one at night before he goes to bed. 
And I've just printed these out, laminated them, put them in the places where I am at those times of day, and I've been reading them, stopping and reflecting, and it's been awesome. It's seriously been awesome. I, I don't know if I can explain how good it's been, but try it. Maybe it will be awesome for you as well. I really want to encourage you to do that. And if you want to have a chat to me, I'd love to chat to you. And if you want to join our Facebook group, if you have Facebook, I know some of you guys don't have Facebook. There is a huge group of us from church, maybe like 20 of us, that are all doing these spiritual disciplines together. It's been amazing to journey with people in that space. The second thing I want to commend to you, again, is mentoring. This is on my heart every time I get up here and preach. Mentoring has changed my world. I love it so much. I'm going to be blunt with you here, and one of the things that I grieve over most is how few young people are mentored. Again and again, I have conversations with young people, and they just don't have someone that's spiritually more mature than them guiding them, meeting with them, making the time to journey with them. Because it's so far away from the model that I think we see Jesus do. He finds 12 disciples, and he journeys with them. And those disciples then get trained up and then journey with other people. I think that we're called as Christians to invite people into our lives. If you have something to offer another person, invite them and and offer them that. Because I really believe that maturity in prayer is both caught and taught. I think that people need time with you in order to catch some of the, the gold that you've been enjoying throughout your life. And here's the very last one, life groups and prayer meetings. We have such a beautiful opportunity every week to to meet with people and pray together. There's people in this community that need you, not because you're particularly talented or good-looking or have your life all together, but they need you to pray with them, to sit and listen with them, to have a conversation together. They need to pray with you and for you to pray for them. We were made for community, and, and somehow prayer together is significant. The Bible talks about it being a powerful thing that we do. So let me just pray one final time as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, my desire in this sermon is simply that people would find deeper intimacy with you in prayer. That our prayer lives would be rich and vibrant. That we would be filled with your love as we meet with you, God. Anything that I've said today that works towards that purpose, please let it sink in. May your spirit in us resonate with it. May it dwell in us. And anything that doesn't, just let that float away. God, I just want to ask again that you would make us better together in prayer. Amen.